I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small, easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and as always sitting next to me is Matt. Hello there. And we're very excited to bring you our next podcast, which is called Five Things You Need but don't want to know about alcohol. Yes, we had a, an email come through from one of our listeners, Inga, who asked us to talk about how alcohol can and does affect weight loss. So we thought rather than make it just answer the email, we'd make it an entire podcast because, well, we think it deserves to be its own podcast because, well, most people, and I've been there myself, uh, are a bit in denial about just how much alcohol can affect someone's weight loss efforts. So we're not here to cast judgment on those that drink because I have a, a drinking past myself. Courtney is also known to, well, back in the day to get occasionally wiped out. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important statement to make to start this podcast, which is we're not here to tell you to stop drinking alcohol and we're not here to, to tell start. you to start drinking alcohol. <laughs> it's really important that all we're doing is answering a question that we were asked on what are the effects when it comes to alcohol and training and alcohol and your metabolism. So there's a really important statement to make to start off with and I think it's always good as well to give personal context in this situation so it's not coming across like uh, Matt and I are preaching. So for myself, I have never been a big drinker. Um, just never, never was something that I really got into when I was younger. I got into the hospitality industry really early, straight out, straight out of school. So I worked every weekend. So by the time I worked, I never really went out. Uh, so I really lost that sort of social scene with um, with my school friends, things like that. So I was never a massive drinker. I was more of a social drinker. So if I went to a special occasion, I would have a couple of drinks here and there. Uh, and to be honest, I still do if I'm going out for dinner with my girlfriends and I might have a glass of wine with dinner. If I'm going out to a wedding, I might have a couple of glasses of wine, things like that. So it's not um, unheard of that I do still have a couple of drinks, even though, yeah, I do know the effects of alcohol. Um, but it's knowledge and I think knowledge is power and when you have the knowledge behind you, you can make an independent personal decision. Yeah, I have a bit of a different background to Courtney in that I was a heavy drinker when I was younger, um, went quite well with my unhealthy, self-abusive lifestyle. I just decided one day when I, after I'd had enough and I was making my changes that, well, I didn't know what the actual effects of alcohol were when it comes to weight loss. I just knew it wasn't good. I knew I was developing a problem, so I dealt with it. So we're looking at this today from an objective standpoint. As Courtney touched on, not here to cast judgment or preach, it's a case of how does alcohol affect weight loss? I mean, it's either it does or it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. And you don't drink at all now, Matt, do you? No, I don't. Um, I just don't 
I don't have the urge mm. anymore. The last time, actually, I can't. I think the last time I drank was at a funeral. Yes. A few years ago, and that was just like one or two drinks. Um, other than that, there's just no no urge to do it. I mean, I'm I make enough dumb decisions sober. <laughs> Yes. So, without further ado, let's get into number one, which is alcohol impairs muscle recovery for up to four days. Yes, it's a common approach for people is that you would think, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out tonight and have a big night with my friends, but it's okay. I went to the gym. I've already burned it off. I've made up for it. This is a bit of a reward. Uh, actually, not quite. Um, alcohol consumption has uh, a lot of effects on our bodies in terms of biochemical reactions, functional changes in skeletal and cardiac muscle, being the muscles that we can see underneath our skin, but also cardiac muscles as in our heart and our, uh, our internal organs. The biggest thing that we can take away from this is that uh, moderate drinking can decrease muscle protein synthesis by up to 20%. Now, what the hell is muscle protein synthesis? Well, that is where we go to the gym, we we hit the weights room, and weight training works because it damages our muscle tissue and it has to then regrow and and re- repair itself and recover. So a big... Um, a big part of this whole process is called muscle protein synthesis, which is where your body will absorb the protein you're putting into it to basically send towards the muscle tissue to restore it, to make it come back bigger, stronger, more flexible, better than what it was before, which is a big contributor towards our body composition changes. Now, if this sounds like a pretty important process, well, that's because it is. It's critical. Because in the end, we're damaging our body. We need it to recover. So if we are having a, uh, a fairly decent drinking session and it's affecting our ability to absorb protein by up to 20%, that's an issue. We're talking about blunting the effects of the weight training session, aren't we? Yes, we are. Now, this has been shown to be in our system for up to four days after a workout. So you're starting to then realize, oh shit, I could quite possibly wipe out pretty much the entire week before with what I'm doing on the weekend if I'm having a bit of a binge, which is what I used to do. Mm. So you might go to the gym three, four, five times a week, then go out on a Friday or Saturday night and just get completely plastered. You're doing a pretty good job of taking all those those weight training sessions that you've done and making them kind of worthless. Yeah. And that's an issue. So if we're looking at um, a decent drinking session, having this sort of an impact on our muscle recovery, which then impacts our muscle regeneration, which then impacts our performance and ultimately impacts our results. I mean, that's not cool. I mean, the, the, safe, the safe thing to say here is that when it comes down to it, looking at this objectively, weight training and alcohol do not mix. Beautiful. So, moving on to factoid number two. Factoid. Yes. One of my favorite words. Very good. (laughs) Alcohol increases appetite. Uh, Yes. Uh, It's been shown that um, energy consumption can be increased by up to 30% thanks to the presence of alcohol. Now, I do want to clarify that even though Courtney and I have said this before, it's worth repeating. 
We aren't calorie counters. No. We're not obsessed with calories because that's just too hard, mate. And uh, does my head in. However, we do believe in a thing called calorie awareness, which is just having a having a general idea and an awareness of the choices that we're making and the impacts that, that can they can cause. This goes back to the calorie awareness um, slideshow that I added to the show notes page of a previous podcast where it had the comparison of a hamburger and the energy content therein versus the vegetables. And it was pretty, pretty eye-opening. So like I said, we're not obsessed over calories, but we need to be aware. So the chances of overeating following a drinking session can go up quite a fair bit. So if we're talking about you know an extra energy consumption of up to 30% on top of the alcohol that we're drinking as well, it could become very, very easy to overeat mm. because you're not just looking, let's look at this, you're not just looking at the energy consumption that's coming in. When we're out having a, a big drinking session with our friends, and we start to get a bit hungry, what do we go looking for? Is it the lean beef and vegetables? Uh, no, it's the 24-hour McDonald's or the kebab store just down the street. Have a guess how I know that. Because <laughs> you were one of those uh-huh. people. Yep, I was one of those people. So it's um, it can be pretty easy to overeat once we've consumed alcohol, and when it comes down to it, when you factor that in with the less than ideal choices that are often easily available, when we're out drinking somewhere, well, that can really throw a spanner in the works and sabotage what we're actually doing. So that is point number two. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, factoid. Factoid number, number two. two. Well, I think I like that one because I think a lot of people can relate to that one. You know, I know I can as well. Number three, alcohol decreases fat burning. Yep, I pretty much can't think of anything worse than this. In terms of the one of the one of the effects of alcohol is that if your aim is to burn fat, which let's be honest, if you're listening to this podcast, that is your aim, just like it is ours. The thought of something that decreases your body's ability to burn fat, well, that's not cool. In fact, I would say that's shit, quite frankly. So when the body tries to metabolize alcohol, which it doesn't do a very good job at, um, there is an increase in fatty acid production, especially in the liver, while there is a decrease in the burning of fat, which, well, look at this way. If you're looking at an increase in fatty acids and a decrease in the body's ability to burn fat, what does that mean? Gaining weight from alcohol is not too hard at all. So, and this comes down, and this is the scary thing for me, is that one single drink just one single standard size drink has been shown to decrease the body's ability to metabolize fat and carbohydrates, which is what we're talking about, like a, a malfunction. The body malfunctions in its ability to metabolize fat and carbohydrates, which when it's humming along the way we want it to be, the body is, is using proteins, carbs, and fats the way we want it to. When that starts to break down, our body's ability to change starts to break down too. So if our goal is to basically burn fat and look our best, we've got to be very, very careful Mm. about these choices that we're making. Yeah, absolutely. So moving right along to number four, high doses of alcohol can suppress testosterone by 20 to 25%. 
This is around five to six glasses of beer for a 70 kilogram man while increasing cortisol levels. Very good. Yes, so the word testosterone is often associated with big buff heads like me. Um, and yes, it is a, a very male dominant hormone. But the fact is, testosterone plays a vital role in body composition for both males and females. Yes, well, females have certain levels as well. Yes, they do. Males just tend to produce around 20 times the level of female, which is why we're so big and hairy. Yes. <laughs> uh, but still, females have it too. And males and females with testosterone present, or at least somewhat partially elevated levels of testosterone, do very well as a result, tends to speed along the changes that we want. So you're looking at the testosterone really is our favorite hormone for building muscle, getting stronger, getting leaner, increasing our sex drive, just putting that out there. For males and females. Of course, for males and females. Mm -hmm. um, it's our favorite hormone. While Courtney mentioned before uh, the increase in cortisol levels, cortisol is um, number one stress hormone. Mm. And where testosterone is our favorite hormone for building muscle, cortisol is our favorite hormone for destroying muscle. And again... Going for this, this appears in males and females. Of course, absolutely. This this is not gender specific. No. Um, however, if we're looking at um, and the, the case that, that Courtney used before, with around five to six glasses of beer for a seventy kilogram man, can suppress testosterone by twenty to twenty five percent while increasing cortisol levels. We're looking at creating an environment there that is ideal for destroying muscle tissue. And um, well, let's be honest, getting fat. Yeah, absolutely. Cortisol is just a, a horrid, <laughs> horrid hormone. Well, it's a, it's, it is it is the human uh, human body stress hormone, and it's something that we want to reduce yes. as much as possible. Uh, the body doesn't really know whether the stress we're getting is emotional or physical. Um, so whether you're getting it or not, I mean, from what, whatever the source is that it's coming from, your body does not handle it very well. And I think that's a really important fact there you made, Matt, where cortisol in the body, the body doesn't know why where the stress is coming from. It just knows that the stress is there. Yeah, it could be it could be a bad day at work. It could be um, a fight with your partner. It could be overtraining. Yeah, so that's a physical stress. Yeah. Whereas a bad day at work or um, Stress with a with a upcoming um, event event. They're wedding. They're what you would call an emotional stressor. Yep. Whereas these levels appear from these physical stresses as well. Yeah, they can. And in this case, we're looking at the um, this stress hormone being being elevated as the result of how the body is trying to deal with the presence of excuse me presence of alcohol. Mm. So yeah, we're talking about high doses here. So five to six glasses of beer for a 70 kilo man, unless he's got a particularly good tolerance, that's going to have a bit of an effect. That's a lot of alcohol. That, that's a fair bit. Mm. However, how many of us, and I'm sure you listening can relate to this as well, how many of us know or have the ability to stop in terms of knowing, you know what, one to two is enough. Mm. I'm going to pull it back. For me, it took a long time to develop that that sort of discipline to say, you know what, one to two, three to four is enough. For me, I would just keep going and going and going until I couldn't pick any more up. The binge. Yeah, well, I, I think for, for my history, I've always been able to, to 
fall back into that and to really pull that back and say, you know what, one or two is fine, uh, three or four is fine. I would very rarely in my in my life, I think I could probably count on one hand um, the amount of times I've gone above that. But oh. that's, again, that's, that's a personal story for myself because I didn't grow up as a big drinker or never really got into that sort of um, thing. I, I personally don't love the taste of alcohol. There's a few alcoholic beverages that I actually really enjoy the taste of. And those are the ones I can obviously drink, you know, you, you one, two, three, four glasses of in a night. But it's, it's never been a, an overly fun experience for me. I'm the other way around. Um, I could also count on one hand the amount of times I've had those big nights where I couldn't stop if that one hand had about 50 fingers. <laughs> uh, where I was your classic binge drinker. So through the week, uh, I wouldn't hit that much alcohol. Um, it would be more of the food choices. The weekend, however, I'd make up for it. Mm. Where mm. I'd just be going hammer and tong Friday, Saturday nights um, until I was basically non-functional. So anyway, the, the point I'm making here is that you know five to six glasses of beer is is a decent a decent whack, but the drinking culture that is still out there among people, and I've been a part of it. Um, is that there are so many binge drinkers out there? It's not it do, it's not as hard as it sounds. No, to have a high dose of alcohol on on a big night out. And I think the main point as well there with with number four is just understanding the the levels of cortisol that get released into the body from the action. Well, it's it's more it, I, I haven't got any numbers on me in terms of the the percentage increase in um, in cortisol, but. Any increase is not good. No, and I would I would assume that those numbers anyway would vary from person to person. Of course it would. So, but but the fact is that it does increase your cortisol levels, and that is not good for and, and does suppress testosterone. Mm. So, taking it back to what I said before, if our goal is to look our best and feel our best, we don't want to reduce testosterone levels. We want more, and we do not want to increase cortisol levels. Yeah, no, we want to do everything we can to reduce them. Mm. So let's now move on to number five. Fun fact five, which is which is red wine can enhance fat metabolism. Yeah, so I've just basically spoken for the last five <laughs> minutes about how alcohol um, can decrease fat burning, and we've now just turned around. And said, red wine can enhance fat metabolism. This is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> we are shit. No, actually, let's... Okay. Let's take this back a step. Is red wine alcohol? Well, Durfred, of course it is. However, red wine has an active ingredient called resveratrol. Resveratrol has been shown to dramatically increase the rate at which our bodies metabolize fat which is a good thing. Yes. Um, resveratrol comes from the skin of grapes, uh, yet can lose its effectiveness very, very quickly. So red wine has been shown to be uh, a very effective source of this compound resveratrol, more so than fresh grapes or white wine. However, it's still alcohol. Yes. So what we're not saying here is, is look, don't have the beer don't have the the champers just smash the red wine just have a bottle each night you're fine no because the points we just made still count yes it's just that when it comes to this specific source of alcohol 
there has been shown to be some decent health benefits there when consumed in moderation. So we're not for one second giving people the green light to go and you know smash down the red wine every day. Um, but I would like to think that the occasional glass of red should be a pretty good guilt-free treat if you feel so inclined. I personally detest the taste of red wine, one of the few alcohols I didn't like. Um, but if someone enjoys the occasional red with their husband or wife or their friends, go for your life. But, and here that comes... That was a very big but. <laughs> but, and here comes the but. Those positive effects are not likely to be present in an overweight individual, as recent mm. science has shown. So if... if let's, let's look at myself as an example here. Yes. These days... I could get away with the occasional glass of red. Yes. And I would probably, and I would not probably because I'm overweight, I would get the health benefits from it as long as I didn't become what I used to be and smash bottles. Like, a binge drinker. Yeah. However, if the mat of days of yore, you like that one? Really? Days of yore. Really? Yes. If the mat of days of yore were okay. to consume red wine, he wouldn't be seeing the benefits of it. It'd just be your body struggling to process the alcohol. So red wine can enhance fat metabolism, assuming you aren't particularly overweight. Right. That is a big but. <laughs> That's a massive but. That's a big but they've added into that. That but is even bigger than mine. So I hope that clears up that question about red wine because I know Matt and I get that question a lot, which is, oh, but I heard red wine is good for you. Well, I mean, yeah, in, in small doses, mm. Mm. in small doses... But we've got to be careful about the choices we're making, don't we? Well, and I think that goes for alcohol in general. I mean, it, as we started off this podcast saying, we're not here to preach. Matt and I aren't here to preach to you to say, don't don't drink at all. Yes, you can have a drink. Yes, you can have red wine. No, you can't. Yes, you can. All we wanted to do was pass on the facts well, for look, this. Well, look at it this way. Given, given my past, I'm not in a position to ever judge anyone. No. Uh, however, I will now these days as a health professional, and I use that term professional loosely, I, I am a registered health professional. Whether I'm a professional, it's a different story. However, I will say this. I think what we should be doing is eating and drinking in accordance to our goals. I think that that is a perfect way to describe it. And that... that, that mindset there is what allowed me and made it easier for me to push alcohol to the side gradually over time. Mm. I'm not saying everyone needs to give it up, but eat and drink in accordance to your goals. If you're and we're looking at this objectively, if your goal is to be the best version of you in terms of, you know, being in the best shape, um, peak health, peak performance, well, choose wisely. Absolutely. Choose very, very, very wisely. So let's do a recap here. I'll take this recap for us. All right. The five things you need but don't want to know about alcohol. Number one, it impairs muscle recovery for up to four days. So weight training and alcohol eh, don't make very good dance partners. Number two, it increases appetite. So you do run the risk of overeating. Three, it decreases fat burning. Uh, enough said. Four, High doses of alcohol can suppress testosterone and increase cortisol levels. So reduce the body's ability to build muscle and increase the body's ability to destroy it. 
And number five, red wine can enhance fat metabolism. But. But maybe not if you're overweight. Yes. So hopefully that was uh, illuminating. And hopefully you got something out of it. And so I think on uh, on that note, it is time to move on to Courtney. Drum roll, please. Emails. Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is our email address. Yes, it is. We got a great email this week from Sue. Yes. Hello, Sue. She says, food prep. There is so much information out there. I find I get bogged down in all of the information and a lot of it is too vague. There are great recipes and ideas to help with the tasks of shopping and actually cooking. But what I'm having trouble pinning down is quantities. It's as if everyone is too scared to give an actual measurement and just say along the lines of quantities to suit you or measure out what you need. In the past, my biggest problem was with under-eating. But my fear now is to go the other way and have my portion sizes too big and trade one problem with another. That's a fantastic email. Mm. Would you like to go first, Courtney? Well, I think, first off, I think that a lot of people... Some people might be too scared to give actual measurements. Uh, Some people might think that they can't do it because they're giving away the secrets. Whereas other people, I think, generally don't give measurements because it's really, it can be really individually based. So I, for instance, won't have the same quantity of food as Matt. Funnily enough, because I'm three times your size. There is a massive size difference there. So that's where sometimes a lot of these people don't, recipes and things like this, don't like to give specific measurements in terms of quantities to suit because they don't know who is reading that recipe. Well, yeah, because you're looking at different sizes, obviously male and female. Mm. But let's say we've got two females who both weigh the same. But does that mean the one-size-fits-all approach will work? Because what if you have two females who are roughly the same body weight, but their training routines are completely different? Mm. What if their training history is completely different? What if one of these females has been training for the last eight years solid, and this other female has just started a month ago? Guaranteed their metabolisms and their appetites are going to be dramatically different. Now, I know this from first-hand experience. I eat more food now by some distance than I did at my biggest and heaviest and most unhealthy when I was a binge eater. In terms of the volume, I have way more now. My portion sizes now are bigger. Yes. The overall volume through the day is bigger. Yes. But my body developed the ability and the need for this over time. So in terms of the the fear of making your portion sizes too big, this is where you have to listen to your body and know when enough's enough and say, that's it, I'm satisfied. I'm going to stop. Yeah. I know that Matt and I's advice for new clients of ours, when we have them come in and they're trying out some new recipes, uh, trying out basics of some new foods, always encourage everyone to try out some new foods because I know a lot of people can get stuck in their heads that there's certain vegetables that they just don't like but potentially maybe have never even tried uh, or maybe they just haven't tried them 
in a certain way. They've tried them on their own and maybe they'll like them if they add different flavors to them. So we always encourage everyone to try out some new flavors, some new recipes and just eat until they're full. So don't force yourself. Just eat till you're full comfortably and then work on from there. So then you start to get a sense on the quality of size that suits you. Well, then you can also eyeball off what your portion sizes are because, you know, you know this looks like about the same amount I had last time that I felt satisfied with. Mm. And what you find is over time, and this is also why specific recommendations are so hard, because as you get stronger in the gym, as your conditioning improves, as you get leaner, your body wants more. And your body will actually tell you when it wants more because you'll you'll be eating your food and you'll finish and you go, you know what? I ain't done yet. Mm. So I know for me, even re- just recently, I actually increased my portion size slightly mm. and got leaner mm. as a result. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point to make. But I think if, if, if you really want to break it down even more and give yourself a really good guide to go from, then Matt... I can't remember the exact rule, but we were we were taught that a long time oh, okay. ago if you with go, the hand. Yeah, if you go a palm size serving right. a palm size serving of protein, mm. a fist size serving of carbohydrates, and adjust from there. Mm. So vegetables and things like that. Yep. Fist size. Yeah. Yep. I mean. You'll find if you're fairly new to the gym, your appetite won't be that big. No. Over time, it'll change. Yep. Um, that's the best advice I can give. And it's not a case of me being too scared to give a measurement. It's because if I give a measurement, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Absolutely guessing. Absolutely. So the best thing you can also do here, Sue, is also record. Mm. Record how much you're putting in and record how it's sitting with you. Uh, so for these meals through the day, I had X amount of chicken, X amount of these vegetables, and I felt... Blah. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no easy answer because there's no one size fits all. Even with our own clients, there's no, no one size fits all. Absolutely not. It always comes down to feedback from the client and in tweaking things and working on things to make it better. So hopefully that answers your question to the best that we possibly can answer your question. Or you think we're completely full of shit and <laughs> that we're too scared to give an actual measurement. Um, we are full of shit. But we're not too scared, but it's just a case of, you know, one size does not fit all. No, unfortunately and that's not. That's something that I've learned myself personally over time and that we've learned working with our own clients. Yeah. So on that note, I think we're going to call it a show. Yes. High five. Boom. Killed it. So hopefully this has helped. Uh, podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can email us and we will see you soon. Bye. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.